You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, good evening. Thank you for listening to the Saturday edition of the Nick Luck Daily podcast, episode 21, with me, Charlotte Greenway. It's Friday the 10th of December. The positive news from the week is that Rachel Blackmore has been nominated for BBC World Sports Star of the Year and is in fact favourite to win, ahead of the likes of Max Verstappen, Novak Djokovic and Tom Brady. The big news from France on Tuesday was that four members of the Rossi family were taken into police custody over allegations of doping following a 10-month judicial investigation, which included surveillance and phone tapping. Tom Stanley spoke to Catherine Ford about this on Wednesday's episode, and she interestingly informed him that there have in fact been rumours circulating about the family over the last couple of years, and so to those in the know in France, this hasn't come as the biggest surprise. But of course, this week has been dominated by Robbie Dunn's hearing, who we learnt yesterday has been found guilty on four of the seven counts brought against him for the bullying and harassment of fellow jockey Bryony Frost. Lydia Hislop joined Nick this morning to discuss this hearing, which we'll revisit a little bit later in this episode. First though, looking ahead to this weekend's racing at Cheltenham, where the feature race is the Racing Post Gold Cup Handicap Chase over two and a half miles. And looking at the betting, it promises to be a seriously competitive renewal. And favourite Laylaw is hoping to turn around the form with Midnight Shadow from Cheltenham just four weeks ago. That race was on the old course, this time it's on the new, and reports after that race were that Laylaw may prefer a stiffer stamina test, and he's likely to get that more so on the new course. However, Midnight Shadow was very impressive that day, and he would have won by further, were it not for his mistake at the last, and although he's gone up £7, he looks to be on the upgrade, and so... You know, you might hope that he can cope with that. So when Nick spoke to his jockey, Ryan Mania, yesterday, he asked him how the horse has been since that win. Uh, he, well, he came out of the race absolutely bouncing. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to seeing um, if, he, if he can if he can do it at the weekend. He's, gonna, he's got a big rise to deal with. Um, he's gone up seven pounds. There were some nice horses that he beat and behind him having these, their first runs of the season. They'll come on for the runs. Um and, and take him on again on Saturday, so he's, he's, he's up against it, but hopefully he's, he's good enough. A couple of obvious questions. First of all, do you think the new course will suit him as well as the old course did? Um, I, I don't think he'll mind. I think just Cheltenham in general, he, just, he, he loves Cheltenham. Um, and they say that, they say that the, the new course is, is more focused on stamina, so you know, if we, we think he might stay the, stay the three miles, so... That would, that would give us another indication whether he did or whether he didn't. And he was second in the race last year to a sort of freakish Chatham Street lad and he beat Paint the Dream on the new course in a novice chase. So there's plenty of evidence suggesting that both tracks come, come alike to him. And was there anything about his victory last time that, that surprised you at all? Because it, it was a marked step forward. Um, it didn't surprise me, no. Because um, he ran a very good race at Aintree um, on his return. And obviously... 
with his run from Cheltenham last year. Um, you know, we, we know we know he's a very good horse. He just just maybe last year just thing didn't quite go his way. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't quite a surprise, but just the way that the way that the horse jumps and travels through the race, he's just he's he's a great easy horse to ride. Um, and you know, you can you can put him in any race, and I think he'd be he'd be there be there the be there at the end whether he wins or not I don't know but you know he's, he's, he's always going to be, be very close and Protectorat's win uh, at Aintree in the many clouds must have given you great heart that what you achieved at Cheltenham was pretty substantial yeah it backed up didn't it and, but, but you know we were I was hoping he was going to step up to three miles and, and give that a, a goal just like Protectorat did um, but we're going to have to wait until <laughs> wait, wait until that day um, I don't know where he'll go after Saturday. King George will probably come too soon, but yeah, definitely keen to, to step up the three miles and see what he can do. So you really think, from what you're saying, it sounds like you feel that we're only scratching the surface, that might, this might just be the beginning for him. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe that. I know he's, he's not you know, he's not a, a really young horse, he's not an old horse, but um, I think if, if he stays at three miles, I mean, he could, be, he could genuinely be a, a Gold Cup horse. Um, you know, he is he is genuinely the best horse best horse I've ridden. Um so, you know, I'd like to think that he he could be in the you know, end up rated in the one sixties, but you know, we've we've yet to find out and you know, we've we, he's almost he is slightly exposed over two and a half. So I think, you know, we need to to step up to three to see if it just brings out a bit of improvement in him. And riding horses like this, it uh, it must make you wonder why why you ever stepped a, stepped away from the game. Oh, I think I wonder that every day. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I know why I did it at the time, and you know, life works out the way it's always supposed to. And you know, I do stand by the fact and say that I would I wouldn't have a wife and a family if I'd stayed racing. So look, it's everything works out for the for the for the right reasons, and it's you know, I'm lucky to have, to have came back and and get to ride such nice horses. And um, you know, long may that continue. It's been it really has been great. Ryan, thanks so much for chatting to me. Best of luck Saturday. All right, thank you very much. One of the most interesting horses lining up against Midnight Shadow is Virgil O'Brien's Silver Hallmark. He was fourth on his seasonal debut at Carlisle behind Fidder on the Roof. He's only run six times under rules, and so surely he's still entitled to be improving, as Virgil explained to Nick yesterday morning. You know, he's a lovely horse, and um, he, he, we've been very lucky to get him. And he's done, you know, done very well for us. Even though he's limited runs, you know, he's, he's a little bit fragile, but uh, he's he's, uh, he's done very well for us. Yeah, you're right. He's one of those low mileage horses. It's not like he's had masses of time off the track, but it seems that you just have to pick and choose very carefully. So, just give me a bit more sort of depth on that. Um, yeah, he just, you know, he probably hasn't got the, the sort of best uh, feet in the world and stuff. So normally when he comes back from racing, it just takes him a bit of time. But actually this time he came back from uh, Carlisle in, in, in great order. Um, and, you know, we've just been, we've been waiting for a bit of ground for him really, you know. So, um, you know, really looking forward to him running. Hopefully Charlton can get a little bit more rain. Um, so, yeah, so fingers crossed. The Colin Parker at Carlisle this year might end up looking one of the one of the best bits of form on offer. Uh, the Ladbrokes runner-up fiddler on the roof won it, and of course, Ahoy Senor was probably just beaten when when he unseated uh, Derek Fox two out. So it, it looks pretty strong form, and you were right in there till fairly late on. Yeah, look, it was his first one of the season, and it, look, he was a novice in against some very very good horses. Fiddler on the roof, um, I think only just beat him last year at, at, at Exeter, and. Um, 
yeah, so he, he, he you know, I think it's, it's great for him. We, we, we missed the, we sort of missed the sort of fourth last person in the straight. He, he, he hit it fairly hard and Adam gave him his time to sort of gather himself up again and he was starting to stay on again at the line, you know, so we're hoping, um, we're hoping that he's obviously improved a lot from that and he seems great in great form at home, so really looking forward to, to, to getting him back on the track. Uh, is ground a, a, an issue for him? I mean, you've tried to keep him to, to easy ground so far. Is that just a coincidence? Is that just the way things have panned out? No, no, he definitely wants, you know, he definitely wants it on the easy side. Of, you know, good to soft would be ideal. Soft would be, would be ideal. Um, doesn't really want good ground. Uh, I think, he, you know, he, he, he just ends up, he, he doesn't really let himself down. Um, so, yeah, so we, 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 we'd like sort of good to soft ground. Lots of horses entered over the weekend. Who do you think is your best chance of a winner? Oh, um, maybe the two jumper at Harryford in the mayor's race. Um, looking forward to her running. So fingers crossed. We, we uh, hopefully one of them will, will sort of go in. We yeah. get the crossbar most of the week, so um, it'd be nice to have a winner. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're normally you're clipping away at such a good rate. When the when the sort of number of winners goes down, everyone sort of goes, oh, are they out of form? I mean, do you still think the horses are in good form? Um, they've been in better form. Um, we've we've had one or two with with you know, sort of snotty noses because it's the time of year, some of the youngsters. and So they have been in better form. But there isn't, like last weekend we ran nine horses and I think there was only two, there was two disappointed and there was two that ran way above expectation, you know. So it sort of swings around about us and, you know, we're, we're, we're very lucky to be uh, sitting where we are at the minute and, um, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep doing what we do. Good luck, Fogel. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks, Nick. It's also Hong Kong's International Race Day on Sunday, where Aidan O'Brien is sending 1,000 guineas winner Mother Earth for her 10th start of the season, along with last year's Hong Kong Vars winner Mogul and Belmont Derby winner Bolshoi Ballet. Pile Driver is a very talented UK raider, along with Dubai Honour, and it'll be interesting to see if they can cope with the quick ground at Sha Tin, having shown their best form when there's been a bit of cut. James Willoughby took Nick through the races this morning in terms of the horses that appear in the TRC rankings, which is well worth the listen if you missed it. And back to the news from yesterday that jockey Robbie Dunn was found guilty and handed an 18-month ban for the bullying and harassment of Briony Frost. He does have seven days to appeal that decision and there's no word yet whether this is indeed his intention. Lydia gave her summary of the case and the verdict on this morning's episode, and I thought I'd just pick out a few of the key points from what she had to say. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the official statement first, and I just want to stress that I'm framing the, my analysis of their statement within the view that I think there is a behavioural problem across the sport in terms of how people seem to believe that they can talk to others in the workplace. I think we've heard people testifying that in the past. I remember there was a class of the course who um, referred to how he was made to feel um, due to the way that um, trainers and other officials um, spoke to him. And I think other officials might testify to that also. So um, I also think that jockeys within um, the industry do take a lot of criticism. You know, they're often the subject criticism by trainers, by owners, by hunters, you know, more widely. So I do, I do understand that they often feel that they're at the end of the line for the inevitable kicking. Um, so I'm not suggesting that any of this is a one-off, and I'd like that remem- remembered when I go through um, the, the press release. However, in this context, over these past two weeks, what was being examined was the behaviour of a jockey in the context of a weighing room and the race course. That was what's under consideration here, and that's why they were under scrutiny as a population. Now, 
in the press release, which I said, I have to say I found disappoint, disappointing, and I use heavy understatement when I say disappointing. There are, there are so many elements of it to it that I just simply do not understand. Um, in the third paragraph, uh, it says, Bryony felt bullied. Now, the disciplinary panel has just found, after a hearing in which both the defence and the prosecution were able to put evidence and witnesses before the independent free personal panel, that their conclusion was that Bryony was bullied. She, it isn't that she felt she was bullied, she was bullied. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it says we do not doubt the isolation she has felt. And again, I think that that was uh, seen to be uh, something that the, the discipline panel accepted that had happened. Um, in the fourth paragraph, it says that um, the PJA does not accept the disciplinary, fa- disciplinary panel's findings in relation to the culture within and the collective behaviour of the jump jockey's weighing room, which is a grossly inaccurate and wholly unfair representation of the weighing room, and a conclusion we believe is at odds with the evidence presented. Evidence presented is a key point here. The panel heard that evidence. They heard a series of riders come and talk about that and either now we haven't got their reasons yet they they will follow later on they either rejected it and or they used it as evidence by which to come to their conclusion about the backdrop against this against which this bullying took place later on in the press release the pja says um we are aware of significant failings of the investigation one that was woefully inadequate lacked the necessary independence and allowed outside interference we are aware of significant inconsistencies in the evidence. Now, these points were argued by Robbie Dunn's counsel, and they were heard, and they were weighed by the panel, and we have to conclude, given the panel's verdict, they were rejected. It wasn't a case that uh, these, these points were not heard, that these points were not argued out. They were, at length, and under cross-examination, and everybody who is a member of the press watched them do that. Um, it, the press release goes on to say, most importantly, the PJ and its board had for some months lost confidence in the disciplinary panel due to a number of serious concerns, including the long and striking track record of the disciplinary panel's failure ever to criticise the BHA, its case management and its processes. I mean, to me, this is a, a, a parallel universe, a universe because I'm pretty certain I can remember that the, the uh, disciplinary panel um, criticising the BHA on many occasions. On many occasions, it has modified um, the... Uh, penalties put forward by the BHA or quash them. And fairly recently, I'm pretty certain that I recall, the PJA in public stating that they were quite happy with the strike rate of um, appeals that succeeded once they took them to the discipline panel. But more than anything, what that sentence says to me is it's a bit redolent of the government when the Owen Patterson affair came forward and uh, the Independent Conduct Committee uh, found him to be in breach of the standards, the standards of, of the government, of the parliament. And the government's reaction to that was just to, to call into question the validity of the independence conduct inquiry and not to accept any of the results. Essentially what that, that sentence is saying is that the PJA does not accept the validity of the judicial panel. And, and unfortunately, this is one of the key elements that was put under scrutiny during the hearing. And that is the feeling that in some way, the weighing room, the jockey population, because it, it's such a tough sport, uh, because it's a dangerous sport, um, should be allowed to be ruled under um, different expectations of behaviour than everybody else in the world, Every, certainly everybody else in Britain. And that is not something that, that any QC, and there were two of them on the, on, the, um, on the judicial panel, 
is going to accept. That is just not going to fly in the wider world. Lydia, I want to, to put this um, hypothesis to you, that, that Robbie Dunn's defence bet the house on trying to normalise his behaviour in the context of the weighing room. So using that weighing room as a shield, rather than taking an appropriate measure of personal responsibility. And of course, now, uh, Brian Barker QC has, has, has pointed out quite clearly that he feels that he didn't really show the contrition um, that was required. Uh, the, the panels quite understandably said, well, if that's symptomatic of the weighing room, then the weighing room can, can have it into the bargain, frankly, because we don't like that either. Do you see what I mean? They've, they, what they've used as their defe his defence is actually something that the panel has condemned. So it was a terrible defence. I, I think it was too. I mean, it was essentially saying that you cannot single out this person for behaviour that is typical in this population. And uh, then brought a, a series of testimonies to suggest that that was the case. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it was a very poor um, defence. Brian Barker said that uh, Robbie Dunn had shown little sign of understanding or remorse during the six-day hearing and had instead adopted an attack on Bryony Frost's personality to justify his actions. Um, he said that he found Bryony Frost to be a truthful, careful and compelling witness. And I should just say, with further linking back to the PJA official statements, that during the course of the hearing towards the end, uh, Roderick Moore, the council representing Robbie Dunn, acknowledged that there had been a lot of outside white noise preceding this hearing and that, uh, that concerns had been raised prior to the hearing beginning that it would not be possible for a fair hearing to be carried out. And he said, he stated in front of the judicial panel and in front of all the journalists who were, who were watching via Zoom that he felt it had been a fair hearing. And ultimately, I mean, there was a lot of, there seems to be a feeling that uh, all of this evidence, this counter evidence was given by a series of jobbers. Essentially, we haven't got the, the verdict yet. They haven't got the reasons yet, rather, from the judicial panel. But I think when they come out, they will focus essentially on two things. You know, what Briley Frost said and felt and what um, yeah. Robbie Dunn said, did and meant by it. And I think there are two other significant uh, witnesses who they used for collaboration. One was the anonymous fence attendant at Stratford and the other was the former amateur jockey Hannah Welch. Well, I hope you enjoy the action from Cheltenham over the weekend where Nick's tip that he shared on this morning's episode is Midnight Shadow in the 150, whose jockey Ryan Mania we heard from earlier. Nick will be back with you on Monday, back from Bahrain. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.